Hello and welcome to the Bryce Cast, episode six. Uh, my name is Bryce. If you're joining me here, appreciate all the love and support. Mad amounts of you are downloading the podcast, which is something I didn't expect to see. More of downloading the podcast than watching Bryce it Tabular. on uh, uh. on Twitter. By the way, just realised I left the alerts live. That's Maven. If you heard it, um, but joining me here, a genius, uh, an incredibly smart Call of Duty brain, and. I've always appreciated him, and I love the fact that, you know, everybody else is now doing the same thing. It's Chance. Chance, how are you? Doing all right, man. How are you? And I always uh, appreciate the kind words, even if, like, half of them are uh, unjustified. But I appreciate <laughs> the, the gas pricey, and I love talking COD with you, so I'm sure it'll be a good time. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, I was, I, I don't even know where to begin, because I was going to start talking about champs and everything that goes on, because obviously, you know, it was a... It was a great event in my mind. There was some great Call of Duty and the storylines were fantastic, but I feel like there's an elephant in the room that we just have to get straight on with, right? We just have to talk about JCap has now officially retired. Um, and that happened literally minutes ago. So you're seeing this here. It's, it's just fresh news. Chance, what's your initial thoughts on it? Because he's just, he's just put it out there. I, you know, with like two minutes to think about it, I just want to like I pay respects to the legend, right? Like I, I went briefly back through his career and looking over COD Gamepedia in like how many, like 10, 12, 15 championships, something like that, two world championships. He has accomplished more than not just like 99.9% .9 of Call of Duty players in general, yeah. but even like competitive Call of Duty players. He's accomplished more than anyone could ask for. Literally, you just have the tagline, two-time world champ retires, and the headline should tell you all that you need to know, right? Legend of the scene at one point, I think like Black Ops 1, he was like the best player in the game. And to be able to hold the title of best Call of Duty player in the world ever when there's however many hundreds of millions of people that have played this game, it's incredibly impressive. And obviously, you got to pay your respects and be sad to see him go. Yeah, I... I Genuinely couldn't agree with more. I think you've summed it up there correctly. He is a mainstay of Call of Duty esports throughout its entirety uh, and has been here throughout the entire time. It's like, it's not, it's, I feel like people overlook um, the, the accomplishment of getting two rings. Even getting one ring, right, puts you into a legend bracket. I know Call of Duty, <laughs> right? It, it does, right? Like, yeah, it really does. Yeah, you, yeah. Everybody knows, everybody knows the ring holders. It's even though, you know, as Call of Duty, we put more emphasis on that one title than anything else. It's always, you know, the, the best gameplay. Everyone practices like mental for it. We all hold it in high esteem. He's got two of them. No matter what else, can never take that away. Right? That's Hall of Fame instantly for me. Right? It has to be. Uh, and that's without the rest of his achievements. Something I thought about as we were going live, actually, um, which I think is a, kind of an interesting point, is when a player like JCAP retires, the conversation on him changes immediately. Because when you talk, if we, if we were talking about him in the current context and his, his prospects for next year and stuff, um, obviously you'd have to kind of figure out where he would sit in the tier list. Um, but when you retire, we now look at it as a collective body of work. His collective career, his impact on the scene, his accomplishments, who he's played with and how he's performed. And when you, and when you look at it like a collective, and because it becomes that entire body and his history is now more relevant to the present than ever, um, it's it's genuinely incredible, and you got to, you know, because I, I know it's one of these things on the on the Reddit. You know, people have shit on him in recent times for not being good enough, but the truth is, he is one of the best of all time, it, and you can't really denounce him. Like, regardless of what you think of his KD ratio and all that other shit, this guy knows what it takes to win. He always has done. Um, like I said, you don't you don't <laughs> you don't know 
how difficult it is probably to be at that level for that long. It's it's crazy to me. I mean, I was even going to say earlier, like you were talking about how difficult it is to win like a world championship and like how impressive that is. Like, bro, it's incredibly difficult to win a single championship for anything. Like even like local lands, obviously that's super low tier, but like those can be difficult to win. And he's winning chips all the way back, starting in like Modern Warfare 3 era. Like he's been around for a literal decade. And since he came on, like he has been towards the top, he's been able to stay at a professional level at anything is an impressive, uh, impressive accomplishment. And he just has so many accolades, so many different teammates that have come out and like sort of paid their respects and be like, JK, like he is a true legend of the scene. Anyone who's a fan of competitive call of duty, unless they picked up in the past, like three months are going to know who the man is. And like, he's also been a guy who's been able to set himself, at least I would expect in a way that he has a couple different avenues of how he can like sort of tailor like the next step in his career because of how effective he has been uh, throughout his time. Like, you know, yeah. he could go into a coaching role. He could potentially be talent. He has a whole host of options available to him. Yeah, I'm super curious to see what he does next because I don't think J-Cap is one of these players who will fail moving forward. There are, I mean, don't get me wrong, when some players retire, it's they're going to do the content role. They don't do a ton. Like, it's not going to be as big of an impact. I fully yeah. believe J-Cap when retired is going to go on and do something great, right? If he goes into talent, he'll boss it, right? He'll be a great analyst. If he goes into coaching, same thing. He's always been known as a very cerebral player anyway. You know, he knows this the game inside and out. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And I think his mannerisms, at least when I've spoken to him, you know, I think he can uh, at least break things down in a cohesive way to be an asset to a franchise, right? I think he is an asset uh, used in that regards. Um you know, there are there are many, many things. I don't know if content's going to be the way forward for him. He'll probably try a bit of streaming here and there now he's retired and he's probably got that in his mind. I don't know how much, you know, content he's been willing to do over time. Um, it's not seemed something like he's been particularly interested in so far, but it wouldn't surprise me, you know, when when you once you got that kind of that uh that weight lifted off your shoulders, I'm sure he's looking at it now thinking for the first time in, you know, the best part of a decade. I don't have to worry about the stress of inner team politics or roster mania or any of this shit, you know, getting the next game early and, and worrying about my last year. It doesn't have to do any of that. Full, full change for him. It's, it's, it's waking up to a completely different environment than the one you went to bed in. Uh, I agreed. And I mean, it might also be a thing where like he's set something up and he's probably been working on something for months now to try to approach that next step. Like, I don't imagine him to be the guy that when he gets dropped off of the team of him, not just working as hard as possible to figure out what that next step is going to be, or maybe he hit a wall and just decided to hang up the sticks and try to move forward from here. But agreed. I expect good things from him going forward. Nothing but positive things to say. And again, you just have to tip the cap to like genuinely one of the most accomplished Call of Duty players of all time. Yeah, one of the most accomplished, and and, and from what I can say, genuinely a nice guy as well. I've never had any issues with J Cap um, in my years of knowing him. To be fair, like I've never even I don't even remember hearing a lot of issues. Like you hear all this stuff, you know, players arguing, bicker and stuff. I don't really hear a lot, which says uh, an awful lot for your character to kind of rise above that. I think. Um, like, I can't remember the last time there was genuinely beef for them. I'm sure somebody in the chat could tell me, you know, exactly what happened here. But it's crazy, man. By the way, I did work out something earlier. If you have a, if you have a world championship ring at the moment, it just seems like chaos. <laughs> it's just, if you have a world championship <laughs> ring, shit's going to happen with you. It's drama. Yeah. <laughs> the more rings you have, the worse it gets as well. Jesus. Um, but that's, by the way, that's five rings retired this year so far. 
Uh, oh, yeah, retired. Okay, there you go. I was thinking just that, like, retired or got moved from a roster because that ring count jumps up to what, like, eight of just off of who, who's getting shifted around in some capacity. Yeah, it's um, – Modern Warfare is a dagger year, I'd say, for a lot of people. And honestly, with at minimum 12 new people that are – or not new people, but people – getting kicked out in some capacity or moved around a little bit. Like it is, it's been a tough time for a lot of Call of Duty players. It has, it has. Let's, um, pay our respects to Cap, and I'm sure we'll touch on it again later in the episode, but I think, I think we have to cover uh, the World Championship first because a lot of the news and stuff we have to talk about stems from that one event, right? That is what kicked off this whole crazy event and, and everything that happens, right? So, the World Championship, uh, obviously, it was great. It was four teams going into it. Chance, you were actually, and I don't know how many people knew this. I saw it on Twitter, but I don't, I don't see you crow about it too much. The only person who predicted the top four at the end of the season. Wait, what do you mean? Like, I uh, like from the start of the year, yeah, I predicted the I, top I believe, four? I, I can't believe I remember where I saw it. I think it was the start of the year. You picked London... Um, oh! Dallas, Chicago... I fucking Faith. did! You're right! I forgot about that! <laughs> Dude, I'm a genius. <laughs> I forgot about the London pick. When did I do it? Was that like January? It was a long time ago, but I saw it come oh, up. Oh, dude, I got to find feet. this email, actually. <laughs> Sorry, not to distract. I, I forgot no, about it's, that. It's yeah, because like, okay, so obviously the first three are obvious, right? Like from the start of the year, everyone knew like the roster gets designed and everyone's looking at like Chicago and Faze and be like, that's terrifying. And then depending on how, she, how Shotzi pans out, that is also a terrifying roster, but like, that London sleeper pick, like I should be proud of that one. I completely forgot that that happened at the start of the year. I'm generally <laughs> going to find this email real quick because I'm just happy. <laughs> I saw it come out. I was like, wow, that is a that is a pick. Like I think a lot of other people picked Seattle. I believe was the pick, which they couldn't have been more wrong. Um, it was an obvious one because of the the talent of the roster, but that obviously you know collapsed into ridiculousness. Yeah, but I saw that's like I can't believe Chance has managed to get this completely right and pick the top four at the end of the year. Which is, by the way, just just for qual- clarification here, if you're watching Ganar, you said it was easy. I don't think it's easy at all, right? It's an unknown well, quantity. So, right? uh, again, On a meta you the, don't the... know with <laughs> with any kind of roster changes. It's it's a mad pick. Well, okay. So I, I'll say the first three were like sort of easy because at least, you know, 90% of the community is going to have those towards the top. Obviously, yeah. like Seattle is a team that, that shook things up. And granted, there's a high degree of luck for this with the London pick too, because right at the start of the year, you got rated on the team. Yeah. Zero's not there. He's over towards it. Yeah, you got Gerald on the squad. So it's not like the way I predicted it panned out. It had to have some craziness like throughout. But like, I, I can't believe you like even caught that. That is insane, Bryce. <laughs> hey, I've got to do something, right? While I'm, while I'm sitting here, you know, I've got to catch, catch this stuff. But no, it is interesting. Um, let's talk about it then, because they made the top four. Um, <laughs> I found the email, by the way. I had Ravens above Empire. So, like, <laughs> as good as the top four prediction were, clearly got a couple things backwards. But you didn't need to mention uh, that. You, you could have just said, no, I got it perfectly right. Wishful thinking on my yeah, part. Um, so let's talk about that then. Because, obviously, the, the, the Ravens thing was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, yeah. Them kind of coming up from where they were mid-table to, to push it towards the end. And I've got to say this, right? Full credit to Shawnee and Trey. Um, because yes. I think they made the difference. Like Trey was having a ridiculous couple of events. No, I'd agree. Like he, on, like maybe not even a sleeper pick. Cause I think if anyone like talked about the roster, he would have been like that guy on the team, at least yeah. like around champs time. But Sean to me was more impressive. Cause like, 
I'm to the point with zero where I ex- almost expect these sorts of things. Like I think a lot of the times he needs to be that guy on the roster type deal, but Shawnee, it's like, you know, you're expecting to be the flex filling whatever role like necessary. And it just turned out, especially in that series against Toronto, the role he needed to fill was to be like a God among men <laughs> on the map. And like, we always had the, the jokes about like construction man, Shawnee, but he had like a full series where he just fried. And I think honestly, like the, um, uh, he could honestly like screenshot the scoreboard he had on the St. Petro Hardpoint against Toronto and just leave that like as his banner. Like that should be the stock yeah. that he uses going to the next season of like, this is what he is capable of doing 10 plus kills more than anyone else in the lobby. Most time on the Hill had the clutch plays towards the end to seal the deals on rotation. Like he genuinely is a player. Like, I mean, at least since world war two in my mind that has always been a perfect guy of like, he's a sleeper pick. He's going to be a very good call of duty player as a standard across the board. And then occasionally he can also flip that switch and like make sure that he can push his team over the edge type thing. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, um, it, those two, especially it takes, you know, cause the rest of the team are the rest of the team, a known quantity. People have said about Dylan not performing to his usual standards. I think it's probably just the change in the game and stuff. And we'll, I'm sure we'll see him, uh, you know, a- again, but I think, Shawnee for a start, right? Stock wasn't massively high coming into the year. It was okay, right? It was it was okay. And he went on to the, the sub of the Ravens. I don't think anyone complained about it. Like, yeah, Shawnee's there. They don't know where he's going to fit in. Um, so his, his stock, he's one of these players that stock has gone up because of his performance right then. He's just got an uptick towards the end. And, the, and it's kind of a similar story for Trey. You know, he got dropped from New York. People were not sure if that was the right move. Um, and obviously, like... I spoke, so I spoke to Trey, and he said to me, you know, look, I just wanted to play. I needed to play. I'm not having sitting out. I'm not doing all this. So I think he jumped at the opportunity to get onto the Ravens. I don't think he took uh, anywhere near the contract he was probably on for New York originally. So he's just going, I, I need to get in and get playing. And you know what, right? That, as far as I can tell, and it's only a snapshot of what I've, you know, of briefly speaking to him because he was busy. But he, he didn't want to play Warzone. He didn't want to play nothing. He was like, I am playing COD. That's it. I am. I need to make a name for myself, or I'm screwed for next year. You know, if they flop, champs, we are screwed. But and he didn't. He was he was playing so well. Uh, I mean, agreed. Like that. I mean, honestly, is a. It's one of the biggest factors because I, I think you probably heard Crim Six like mention the same thing on the podcast of just like the players have known for like roughly a month that like the switch to four v four is going to be coming. And if anyone needed any ass kicking to like get into gear, get ready for practice to go to the absolute like grind for champs, like it is not just the prize pool that we had. It is legitimately like we've already seen from JCAP, like players are now retiring. Like it is 4v4, minimum 12 people are going to effectively lose their like starting positions. It is going to be that much more difficult. The players that are now getting knocked into the challenger side of things, already challengers, not counting Australia, was hyper competitive. And like now that just gets like added, like, we are definitely to the point, I think, in COD where this has – well, it is just the most difficult year to really be able to break through and stay at the top. It's, it's just difficult. So, Trey, 100% made the right call of, like, no war zone for me, man. Like, last-ditch effort, I need a good run, and he accomplished that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know who's going to stay on the Ravens because we'll get to this. We'll get to the, the Ravens threw a spanner in the works the last few days as well, but we'll get to that. Um Going up against Chicago, I don't think anyone really had London taking it. There was always, I mean, the European, you know, hope, the optimism going, oh, they could win this, the top four. Um, but Chicago looked, oh, I want to say that those three teams seemed to be a consistent cut above the rest of the teams in the league this year. 
You know, even if they had a bad event or they they lost to somebody, you'd always expect them to push forward again. Like you'd always expect them to be like Atlanta Phase, Dallas Empire, Chicago Huntsman. Teams were too talented and too stacked to ever really not make it count at something like champs. Agreed. I mean, I think even like the the switch from land online, a lot of the results were like pretty similar. Like there's a couple players, maybe a few teams that had like a, a sort of a shift one way or the other. But the Ravens were honestly a team pretty much the entire year where like if you go back and look at the record, they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. They lost the teams they were supposed to like lose to like the, the Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas. Their records against the rest of the league combined is ridiculous. Like they were pretty much only losing to each other with like a couple hiccups like here and there. But it was a very almost like consistent year for the Ravens specifically and for a couple teams like as a whole. And I think you're right. Like, again, that's what I'm saying. Like before of like the top four prediction, I don't think was actually that difficult for at least three of them, <laughs> just because of how stacked those three rosters were, you know, you're going to get a guaranteed level of production out of pretty much every single player on those top three teams. And again, the biggest question mark we had on those top three teams was Shotzi and how is he going to perform? And it turns out he might be the best one of all of them. So it's just, yeah. I mean, even going towards next year, I have to imagine like those will still be the three teams, at least off the rip. Everyone's expecting to be the, the gods still. Yeah, 100%. I think it's interesting between them, those final three teams. We'll move on to Chicago now, who obviously beat London in their, in their first game to put them top three. Um, Chicago is, is so difficult for me to kind of quantify in my mind uh, where they are. Because for a little while, I just I just no longer believe they could win it. Um, like there was, just, as soon as I started watching some of the later events, I'm sitting there going, I don't think this team has it in them to win the World Championship. I don't think they have the... See, this, this is the bit I get confused. I don't know if it is... Obviously, they have the talent. They should know what they're doing. Like, they have coaching. They, they know exactly, you know, there's champions in that squad. But there was something I couldn't put my finger on, and I don't know exactly what it was, but I lost a little bit of faith in the Huntsman. Um, maybe just consistency. Maybe it's their ability against the elite teams. But it, that the the whole thing it didn't surprise me the fact that they lost to FaZe. It didn't. It it you know it didn't surprise me that they beat London. That's exactly where I would put them. Now, I would pick those same results pretty much every single time. I'd say I agree with that. It's like um. Like, dude, it's like Optic Gaming when it was like the, especially the T2P throughout their entire run. I think the majority of my thought process was like, they're going to dominate in the respawns, and there's not really, like, no one can really say anything to them. Like, there's always like one team that could go toe to toe, and whenever that happened, that was the team that beat them. And then their SD was always like inconsistent. This is the first year where mainly for like the scump informal, of course, the old off the gaming roster where it like flip flop to where now their S&D was super clutch and they were very clean in that game mode. They were always making the big plays in a very well-oiled machine. But then it was like the respawns that were a little bit more inconsistent. And I think especially against the Londons, like anyone that just couldn't go toe to toe in like raw skill, yeah. I think that like Huntsman, I'd pick them almost every time because like, well, the respawn, you're never going to bully them. Even if they're inconsistent, they're never going to lose like two respawns. That would be a very bad series for them. And there's only a few teams that could like force that to happen. But then you get to the Atlantis and Dallas Empire and like their best game mode was, it was S&D. So I, I took Huntsman as a team that is phenomenal S&D, a little bit inconsistent at the respawns, but that like formula is good enough to beat everybody except the teams that can like take you down in the searches as well. So I, I agree. I, I think third is like right where almost they would have been expected to be towards the end. But obviously 
it's also another one of those things where they're also a team capable of just completely turning up, turning into a devastating threat. And if they just like catch that fire, then they're one of the very few teams that would be legitimately unstoppable at times. Yeah, it's I still it still it still bothers me because there's like there's so much talent in that squad, right? And then they've got Gunners as a sub, obviously, you know, ended up going into that sub bench halfway through. And I don't know, I just felt like I don't know how to quantify it, right? And it's it's almost an intangible, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just having watched Call of Duty for so long, I could kind of tell, like against Elite. And I think you're right. I think it's. I would even go so far as to say, because um, I believe Crim said something. This and it makes a lot of sense. Like they are an incredibly mechanically gifted team. I just don't think that they may be either suit the game or the you know while they can outskill players and go toe to toe in that buzzsaw of you know of like hard points and respawns and everything like that. I think that there are other teams who maybe play the game slightly more textbook in the way that they conduct the way they want to play, if that makes sense. Like the strategies are more locked in, they're a little bit tighter, they know exactly how to go down. And that's not, you know, that's something that Optic Gaming, I felt like maybe that was the edge. Maybe that's just a little bit of difference. If they could just, you know, obviously be gunning, doing mad things, but also consistent and just have their shit together. You're right, I think they could have beaten anybody. But there was no part of me that was super confident they were going to be able to beat Dallas and Atlanta during that event. Yeah, they're just, they weren't a team for me that I think, like, I never watched their gameplay and I was like, they play this game better than everyone else. Like, they never showed me anything on the map where I was like, they have that something extra. They have, like, these weird strats. And there was even some teams toward the bottom of the league. Like, even when uh, Optic LA was, like, getting bodied, like, across the board, there was still, like, certain maps they'd have on, like, an Arklov Peak S&D where I was like, all right, like, there's something here. Like, they might be losing, but there's, like, a certain degree of creativity and ability to make these, like, on-the-fly adjustments that, like, if they can find it, they can start bringing it together and make a run. In Huntsman, I think from top to bottom, like they were always a great team, but they never showed me like that little something extra, not that extra sauce. And like, I'm sure we'll get to with the Empire, but like, what do we see from them in the grand finals or even before that when they're playing phase? You have Clayster showing off new wall bang spots on Ramaza. You have weird rotations coming on a Zier cave that pay off beautifully. You have Illy pulling out weird sniper angles on Gunrunner. And like, they had all that little something extra that for all the game fives, all the round 11s, all of the hard points within 10 points that we've had this year, Huntsman were a team to me that like, they never had enough to make me say, all right, when it comes down to the wire, they'll have that something extra. It was very much either they're on and they're going to destroy everybody or they're going to be normal. And then they'll lose to the top teams and beat everybody else. And they just, they didn't have that extra sauce. No, I, I agree. I think for me, Chicago Huntsman are up there in the, in the elite teams. I just, I think they, you know, they could go against anybody. And you are right saying, you know, they, they have to be on that full buzzsaw, you know, top of their playing ability going off mode to to take them. But it's possible. Whereas I feel like the others are more consistent in being able to deliver that high performance. And as soon as they come against that, that's when they start to struggle because they're like, shit, we just can't outslay them like lunatics. Um like, and for what it's worth, I do think this is like somewhat of an overblown narrative of like the guys are just like slay heavy and they don't know how to play. Yeah. I think even like tit for tat, like they knew the game as well as anybody else. Again, just outside of that extra one or 2% type deal, like it may very well be a situation where we go to Cold War and now instead of like it being incredibly difficult to like have blowout games in hard point, just because like if team A wins a rotation, they're going to lose the next till type deal. 
and you have to like really work the nitty gritty to get any extra points. And sometimes the spawns just, you know, screw you over anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't be That's surprised if we true. go to new year with four V four where these players like have the opportunity to just erase that narrative and to play the game as well as they did this year. And if the game is just more well-suited to them, then they might be at the top of the game the entire year. Like, I don't want to make any super hardcore reads, at least in a negative direction, just because of how like particular this game was. So I'm just saying, I don't want to bury the narrative of just like slay heavy, but brainless type deal. Like they were still a very intelligent team. Like Envoy has to be one of the smartest players we have in league at this point. Like he is a wizard on the map at times of just his ability to put himself completely in the mix in between all 10 players on the lobby and finding a way to get entry kills or whatever it's going to be like they still had a high degree of intelligence just not to the same degree that like the dallas empire basically had like literally just the empire that had that little something extra yeah no i can agree with that let's let's talk about um huntsman then versus atlanta phase because i thought if they're going to make a run here like the london the london game for me was the obvious one. I was like, yeah, I can see Chicago beating London nine times out of ten. But I was like, this is where I find out if Chicago have come to play at the World Championship. Like, are they going to be that team that can take the world? And against Atlanta Fays, I didn't see it either. Like, it just seemed like... <sighs> I wasn't surprised by that result, and I don't think anybody really was. I was slightly worried whether Atlanta Fays would tilt and go off and, and worry about, you know, after taking a loss to Dallas... Um, but I don't think anybody really predicted. And here's the thing, right? So I did a podcast before this, and we had methods, we had Silly, and we had Marky B. They basically all predicted Chicago to lose that game. All of them. There wasn't really a dissent there. Um, even when I think Marky thought Dallas would win it, and uh, I think the other two thought Atlanta would be the ones who you know went through into the grand final. But nobody, they, nobody had faith in Chicago Huntsman beating any of these two teams. Um, and Atlanta phase, right? Like. That is, it's it's scary how talented that that team is because you. I think some people were worried, right? And it wasn't a lot of people. It wasn't like a big narrative. It wasn't one of these things where people were going, "Ah, oh, you know, they're still rookies. It could have been a fluke." I think enough people realized, like people like Simp were like, "No, he's the real deal straight away." You know, there is even you know he won it. He got the MVP at World Championships last year. Coming into this year, we know he's still good. We know he is tip top, right? And Atlanta phase when they came into this year, everybody was like, "Yeah, they're good. They're good. They're good." Just to make sure. And I, think, I feel like there's a, there's a half-second pause going, just to make sure they're good at the first event. No, they're good. It's fine. It's absolutely fine now. Because <laughs> um, nobody wanted to be wrong in that regard. And Atlanta phase, you know, they, they kept it up all year. It was one of these ones where I was sitting there going, yep, yeah, the real deal. These guys are going to be Hall of... I mean, they might already be there. You know, in five years, um, depending on how the rest of their career goes, already made massive names for themselves. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the phase guys are disgusting. If anyone has the argument that any player on that team, including Major Maniac, who I assume, at least on like Twitter, still gets flack in his mentions for like low productivity, they're all phenomenal players. And like even going to the grand finals, I was expecting them to win, even being down a map. And just to backtrack into Chicago Huntsman, even against phase, and I am cheating because I did have to look this up, but like one of the series they had that they got beat 3-1, the domination was still a 20-point game. The hard point they lost at the end was an 11-point game. Like it still came down to the absolute wire. I think that was when Selium had to fry inside a restaurant and go on like the seven spree. I think that was against the Huntsman. So they're all super tight games. The game five they lost before, they lost in a, a game five round 10, right? In the S&D that they lost in the series. After that, it went to around 11. And that's why I was going with the tagline of like, 
their S and D has been like their saving grace. It's been the main reason they've been able to beat all the teams that were beneath them. But once it comes to the empire and once it comes to phase, that is toe to toe in the search and destroy. That is whoever clutches up in the round 11. And like, if that's not Chicago, their saving grace no longer exists. And then they're going to fall out of the tournament. And the phase is just a team that obviously we saw it two V fours, whoever it's going to be anyone that's alive on that team in whatever situation, there's still hope that they can clutch the round. And like, it's just that they had that extra amount of talent that they can make up for that. in at least the search and destroys. No, I agree. I agree. I, th- I think a lot of people were, at least with Atlanta phase, right? Everybody, and it's, and it's kind of something that you realize when you've watched enough events, winner's final, always the best game. Always the best game. We all know it is. It, you know, grand final is obviously the big one because you get a champion at the end of it and the prize money and everything. But the truth is, right, if you watch enough of these tournaments, you know that most finals don't live up to that hype. <laughs> they don't. It's, it's the truth because the winner's final and obviously momentum and the morale and all this shit. And don't get me wrong, someone in the chat will put, you know, oh, you know, what about the, the massive comeback at this event? Or what? I was like, those are exceptions. Trust me, the rule by and large yeah. is that the finals are worse than the winner's final. Because those two teams who have not been beaten yet in this event are going to go at it hard. And whoever comes in has the mental advantage to come back. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. Um, but yeah, so I thought, I thought the, the Atlanta-Dallas game. So originally, you know, when I was predicting this beforehand, I was kind of leaning on Dallas. And I actually got convinced out of Dallas by Marky B, who picked Dallas, because I disagreed with his points. Um, he was saying, for some reason, I, I, I kind of felt more strongly about Atlanta phase and the respawns, but it turns out that, you know, I was wrong in that regard. Um, and the Dallas Empire just seemed to play an incredible... They look so well prepared. I think that's what, you know, speaking about the game versus Atlanta phase, we knew they had to basically keep a lid on, on like Simp and all that. They just had to lock them down and Abizi and that kind of pressure. And... They showed that that is exactly what you know Chicago failed to do, and Dallas basically, from what I can tell, game planned it. They just they weren't they weren't shook. They didn't care. They had their rotations unlocked and in their setups, and they were just ready to go to war. Dallas, you know, Crim said it, but the, he is right. And if you look at it objectively after the event, you would say Dallas looked better prepared. Absolutely, I, I think honestly. It, I, maybe I should have done this and like gotten some tweets out type deal to like try to get some uh, engagements. But like they came into playoff slash champs having never won a single Azir Cave Hardpoint literally the entire year. And granted, a lot of those are close maps, but they're losing to uh, teams across the board, good teams, bad teams. It doesn't matter. They literally were 0-6, I think it was, on Azir Cave. And then they don't lose it a single time throughout playoffs and champs. And like, I genuinely think after, I think it took like the first three maps we saw the grand finals and I was like, oh, Empire knew they were winning this tournament the entire time. Like I saw that and I was like, not a doubt in my mind. They could have lost the game five to phase in the winner semifinals, whatever it was. I still think that team would have come through the loser's bracket and beaten FaZe in the finals. Like they looked way too good. They went again, 0-6 on Azir Cave to going against FaZe where Simp has the number one and number two kill record on that map and just beat the snot out of them. Like wasn't even close. Like literally the first three maps we had in the grand finals in the head-to-head since FaZe and uh, Empire played each other, I think three times, one in seven in map count on the first three maps in the series. They beat the piss out of them on all three. <laughs> Ailey's pulling out stuff on the Gunner and D when they hadn't beaten FaZe before. Like, I think the Empire 
had the the week or whatever it was that they knew in advance they were playing phase to prepare and they went to the grindstone it was like here's everything we're going to do in every single situation here's the rotations we have on cave here's the new plant spot that phase is not going to be prepared for in the slightest here's what we can do on our mazda yeah. like I think genuinely, if you went into like it asked phase and pulled the players, they'd be like, I'm very confident we're going to win the series. We're winning champs. If you ask Empire, they'd laugh. It'd be like, bro, like you guys will see. Don't worry about it. We're going to just body them. And they don't know what's coming. Like Empire, they were just, they were too far ahead of the game. And they were in Texas, which helps. But mainly the first thing. <laughs> yeah, to just bring that up, didn't you? Um, I think, I think like watching that first winner's finals, like it could be 50 50, could go either way. And even after the it went down and FaZe went down, I went, oh, it could be a really good final, you know? It'll be one of these ones where, you know, FaZe are revved up. It's a new day. They know they just have to come back from this 1-0 deficit. And the 1-0 deficit didn't really look like a lot. You know, you're sitting there going, ah, oh, it's a map. It's a map. And then we watched the final start. And you watched Dallas Empire just go to work. Just And I, I was sitting there going, what the fuck is wrong with FaZe? Like, what is wrong with FaZe? Somebody tell me what's gone on. Um, because this does not look like a team in contention for the World Championship. This looks like a league match at the start of the season. Um, you know, it's, it just doesn't mean anything. Um, and then they kept going down. And even and even after the, you know, phase one, that solitary map, I'm sitting there going, I just don't think they're going to win five. <laughs> I, just, I just don't see it. It's a best of nine. Um, and you, you couldn't convince me after the going down. I think I can't remember if they went down 3-0 or 4-0. I think it was 3-0. Like you couldn't convince me at that point that Dallas didn't have the engine in them to just take maps. I thought it was just over. At that point, it's like, oh god, it's over. <laughs> I was, I was, I had memes ready. I had tweets. It was just like, oh crap, yeah. this, like, this, this this series is over. That's so it was, it was 4-0 for what it's worth. And yeah, then yeah. like a phase one, like the gun on her hard point before losing like the next map. But I, I'm sure you know this. There was like a delay from when we were actually like doing the show to when it was getting pushed out. So like yeah. everything was done live. Uh, effectively but like everyone had to save their tweets for 30 minutes to an hour hour and a half whatever yeah. is going to be when the stream or the matches started for the grand finals it was right after empire finished going up 4-0 and going into the fifth <laughs> map and all of us were like dude this like sucks like this is <laughs> over before it started like we were gonna like re-watch the broadcast or like watch it live and get the tweets ready and all of that and we were almost demoralized because we we're like dude that was just like it wasn't even close like, they just beat the snot out of them. Like, this is GG and it's over before, like, really it's begun for anybody else. And, like, it was hard. But then, you know, FaZe clutched up the hard point and made it, like, a little bit more interesting. But there was definitely that vibe for us as well. Just, like, I can't believe just how dominant, like, that actually was for a champs grand finals, for two teams that literally just finished going game five, for how competitive every team was the entire year. And Empire were just like, no, no, no. Like, we're good. We got this. This is our bag. Like, it's fine. That team definitely had more confidence in themselves than I think a lot of people did, you know, just going into champs. Like, people were like, oh, you know, I, I even saw people think, you know, Chicago, you know, Dallas was going to lose the first one, then Chicago would beat them. And it's like, it's not even going to be like funny. You know, obviously, Krim and, and Clay were super emotional at the end, and you saw it. You know, they knew it was a big thing for their legacy. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I kind of, we've got to talk more about the, the trick plays and, and all that sort of shit they pulled out because. It's been a while since I've seen that. It doesn't happen as often as people think it would do. That teams hold shit back to to win stuff at champs, because usually the games are really, really close, and you don't want to go out before then. So it's it's so rare that I've seen a team hold shit back. Well, like the lock of the gone. 
I was going to say this exact thing I've been trying to talk about for like half the year of like, I can't outright say it on broadcast of like, <laughs> yo, this home series doesn't mean a thing for like Dallas or whoever. I was like, Hey, they care about the seating. Like it's nice, the money, but like realistically, and I think phase is the primary example of when they started losing at the midway point, I saw fans would be like, what is this? What is this phase? Like, they're not good. They need to get back on. Like people are playing Warzone and like freaking out. And I'm the entire time. I'm like, guys, like, it's fine. They have locked up the number one seed. It doesn't matter. Like you need this team to be good at champs. And the same thing can be said for the empire of like, oh, they ended up in the third, fourth seed. It's not as good as one, two. It doesn't matter. There is one tournament after you get to whatever point threshold to be, especially in the top four. And as long as you get that, you're safe and secure. And as soon as you hit that mark, which many of these teams did again, roughly at the halfway point of the year it doesn't matter you do not need to go full force anymore now your entire focus needs to be on figuring out how to beat teams x y and z that you're playing against the champs and that's it you have like three or four months to figure that portion out nothing else really matters to you yeah i mean so i i think in the same vein basically uh, we'll come back to this in just a second but i've just said something in the chat i'm gonna call you out right someone just said the finals were such a black because the format was god awful do you th- like that's <laughs> just to put this I clear wholeheartedly just, disagree just to put this clear right the format for the grand finals, if it was the old format, which would have been two best of fives, <laughs> then <laughs> then they, for Dallas would have won it in less maps. <laughs> they would have won it in a lot less maps. And you're saying the veto stacked it. Vetoes are something that coaches work on and the team work on. It's map pool and strategy. Don't talk to me about vetoes yeah. being so much in yeah. Both teams get to veto. Like it's Dude, not <laughs> it makes no sense. I never want to go into a finals with the thought in my mind, oh, this team just played their hot. They're gonna play this team that hasn't played for a day or however many hours that's like ice cold and have that first map where you're just like, oh, team hasn't warmed up yet or whatever. Like you have an extra week of preparation because of the delay that we had to game plan to figure out the map pool. And if you're worried about like the vetoes, like, bro, you have an entire year to be the best you can possibly be at every map. I think the way the grand final should be is play every single single map in the game see who wins more and be like that's the better team like i don't care like dude this is something crew was saying about uh london's domination of like we had the storyline london sucks at dom the second worst record i think in the league at nine and 20 whatever it is but he was like but they had one good map so they were actually good at dom the record doesn't reflect it i'm like no if they only have one good map that means they suck at dom because they're picking bands you ban it and now they're never gonna win like that is what being good at Call of Duty is about. You have three different game modes, a ton of different maps. You have to be good at as much as possible type deal. Yeah. So like if Empire won because it's the best in nine, there's extra maps. But like, yeah, they had more maps. Like the, the format basically made it as fluke free as possible. There's yeah. no hot hands, no one strolling in on the day of that they just happen to be frying on a Sunday. There's no, we didn't have time to prepare for this team because we had to worry about London first and Chicago first or whatever. It is you have all the time in the world to figure out exactly what you need to do. And again, some of these teams basically had this figured out months in advance. The Chicago phase and Empire knew that those were the three teams they had to focus on. Their road was that much easier. I appreciated the week break. I mean, you could maybe just the best of nine and the one map advantage. Like you could do some weird stuff like that. But as a whole, the more maps, the better. The more time to prepare, the better. It's it's funny, right? Because we had this argument about vetoes years ago. And I've been... So <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Back in um, Gfinity, when we were doing the Gfinity stuff and I was working for Gfinity and obviously casting the events as well, I was obviously a big vocal... Um, Proponent of saying we need vetoes. We need vetoes. Not have having these random map sets is bullshit. I hate them. I always hated them. Um, 
and they didn't have them in the league that year. And I got them put into the Gfinity event in London, um, which they kind of got in trouble for a little bit because it wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> but I had them put in, and it was great. And people come up with these dumb arguments. They go, ah. Oh, you know, well, people will just ban this if they're not good at it and play all year. But this, that, the entire argument about this is you should be good at all maps, right? Because it gives you a strategic advantage to practice and get better at other maps. It gives you more flexibility tactically. It allows you to pick into what you think is a stronger map for yourself versus another team. If you willingly short pick your own map set by just trying not to practice something and, you know, just going, oh, fuck it, we'll veto it you're automatically going to make the game worse for yourself and harder against elite teams who have a deeper map pool. And that best of nine, and you're, I'll be honest with you, Chance, I quite like the idea of playing all maps, although I don't know I mean, how so it works. So what if that is an extreme example, but like like the, point, the point is there. Um, I kind of like that idea. I would love, as a, as a, as a finals, don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it as an idea. You know, realistically, it depends on how deep the map pool is. I'm not sure if, you know, Maven will ever forgive you for saying you should cast three doms. Um, <laughs> but it's it's one of these ones like, no, I can I can agree. I think, you know, map vetoes are an incredibly strategic point. If you have the higher seed and you are the better team, then sure, you probably will get a little bit of an advantage. But that advantage can very easily be negated by map pool depth and having a stronger balance overall. So that's, it's a really interesting point as, as you move forward in these vetoes. And I do agree with some people saying, kind of wish they were seen on broadcast a little bit more and discussed at length about it and the statistics coming forward but that's obviously something that i'm sure will be better in the years come i agree it's like we always get sent what the um like pick and bans and vetoes and stuff like that are before the series but i mean we get it maybe 45 minutes in advance and like i think occasion like we always do the due diligence of talking about here's their map records and i think that like intros the conversation of why yeah. weren't these other maps played and occasionally it gets mentioned of like this team is disgusting it hackney yard dom that's clearly going to get banned against them type deal but they're like we basically completely missed out on the storyline i think i maybe maybe Merck mentioned at a certain point but i don't think i ever did of Faves was picking team b towards like the end like they wanted the quote-unquote bad like side of things where they end up picking like i think they get the dom and they get whatever like the maps two and four, whatever it is no one picked team b the entire year phase wanted to and we never even had the opportunity to really like take the time to explain it i think i also saw plenty of comments throughout the year on the subreddit twitter of people just not understanding how it worked or why <laughs> one side had the advantage towards the other but i agree i, I think from a broadcast standpoint there's definitely some wiggle room for us to do it better but there is a, a little bit of it, at least. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, back to this again, the trick plays. I wanted to discuss them here. The locking the doors thing that Clay put out. So I I kind of knew about this, but I didn't know it was... Because I've done it by accident. And I and I, I tried to replicate it, and I didn't understand the the mechanics of it fully. I've done it I've done it in a few GBs, not realizing what I was doing. Um so I thought that was like so interesting because you basically have to paint the door, put it the wrong way, and then just be there. And that prevents the door from being slammed open. Like it prevents the sprint mechanic from kicking the door in essentially. And you yeah. have to stun somebody. And that's like, because I've seen it in games I've played. I just didn't know how to replicate it completely. And then like, and obviously they, he tweeted out straight away. Um, and I was like, that makes so much sense to me. Like, I cannot believe that it wasn't a well-known thing because obviously, apparently it's an intended mechanic. That's supposed well, so, to be how yeah, it works. That's the part I didn't <laughs> know that it was intended. There was, in the middle of the year, on a Gunrunner hardpoint, 
I think it was a BZ. It might've been Mac melts. And I can't remember if they were the locking the door or on the receiving end, but we literally watched on broadcast. Someone is the same thing with the BZ with the smoke on, um, on her Maza, but like run face first in the door, couldn't get through. And they like wrapped around back and whatever player it was that like had that happen, tweeted about it. And there was a brief discussion about locking doors. And then everyone forgot about it up until like champs, I guess. But that's the part I didn't know. I, I thought it was just like a, a glitch abuse, but apparently they had sent that to the devs or however they figured out. And I was like, nope, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I was like, I just didn't even know. Like that, like you talk about an aspect of a game and how important doors were and just not even used, I guess, like properly, but that doesn't even feel right to say. It's just, it's such a, a strange circumstance entirely. Like I, I just don't know. One other part of that that I think people haven't um, picked up on as much is the fact that the team actually went and reported it as a bug, right? They could have been one of these teams who allegedly, uh, you know, didn't know <laughs> didn't know about the map glitch or whatever, or used the map glitch. Um, instead, you know, the, they clearly had gone through, and he said, you know, we went through and we reported it to the devs because we didn't think it was fair. And the devs come back and said, no, you can use it. And obviously at that point they were like, right, that goes in the pocket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're allowed to use it. It's fine, right? It's it, it's. It, I think that shows a level of integrity as well to find something that you, you think could be a potential advantage and to report it. Um, and then obviously, you know, once it's legal, you're like, right, that goes in the pocket. That's that's fantastic. I love that aspect of it as well. Um, the other one was like that. You talked about that, Illy, that gun runner. That point, I'm like, the amount of times I've played gun runner, but I've never seen that angle. Really irritated me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. how the hell have I never seen that angle? And for what it's worth, there's quite a few more as well. I, I talked to JP about it a bit because I saw, I, I think it was either him or Revan like responded to the spot. Uh, Illy talking about or attached it, something like that. We're like, ah, like I never got to use my spots. There was at least a few different teams that knew different spots on Piccadilly to get the guaranteed first bloods, the spots like that, that Illy had. Like we still don't know the full extent of like what the pros know for this game. And we probably never will. And actually, I think every game has had this too. Black Ops 4, I'm not here to name names because if you want them on the podcast <laughs> to talk to a Brycey, but apparently in Black Ops 4, I have no evidence to back this up. There was a few teams that figured out that walls effectively don't matter for lines of sight to manipulate spawns. So there's a couple teams that were telling me of like, we need to get one player like on seaside to stand in church and to just stare basically at the wall, like towards the back. And that will block the spawn because the game somehow reads that as like, you were looking at their spawn point game doesn't like that. So it spawns you somewhere else. So apparently, and again, I can only say this to what I mean. And paradox honestly might know more than I do in this regard, but there was a few teams that knew the game to such a degree that they are just abusing walls effectively in lines of sight to play the game. And like, I have no idea how much little stuff like that over the years has genuinely impacted Call of Duty, but like that could be a podcast in and of itself of like it's next time, Bryce, you could talk to some <laughs> of the legends, just see what type of tricks they know. Because again, even in this game alone, there were still X number of spots, X number of little things that certain teams had an idea of and certain teams just simply didn't have a clue and they just keep it in the bag for when it matters most. No, yeah. Uh, so it's funny you bring that up because that did actually. I've had that conversation this week, and I can't remember because <laughs> I've been in a, in a in a couple of player discords, and I can't remember who brought it up. And I, at the time, now you've mentioned it again, it's brought it back. At the time, I kind of was just in the background as they were talking about it because they were talking about going back to play games on the off season. What game are we playing on the off season? And someone just said something about, I'm fucking playing that game, having to stare at walls to make spawns. Like a throwaway <laughs> comment. 
and I'm sitting there, and it, and it didn't really register until you reminded me of it just then. I'm like, oh yeah, shit. <laughs> they do know about this, and it's it's mad for them to figure it out because obviously things like this, I think, chance are only going to get more prevalent. You know, you've got coaches and yeah. analysts breaking this shit down on that kind of level, watching all the vods and trying to figure it out. So they'll they'll watch a vod see something amiss and go into the game and try and figure out how to replicate it or break it again. Um, and now they have dedicated teams to do that. They have people who will go and find those things for them as well as the pros. So it's going to be mad, you know, later on. I'm sure it's going to be a dev's worst nightmare because they're going to yeah. be actively looking for it. I'm sure quite a few teams had this. Like I know the, the New York guys definitely had a couple like this. What you need to do is get Rambo Ray on the podcast, <laughs> but get him drunk first and try to like <laughs> dig things out of them because the only reason I was even really expecting weird things like that to happen at champs was like literally in the middle of the year, he just, he was making like some random content piece for the empire commentating over Shotzi's gameplay on just a random scrim. And he mentioned, he like started to talk about spawn manipulation. He was like, actually, let me stop myself. I'm not trying to teach anybody, but pros or at least certain teams had it down to on Gunrunner. We can't push past like the oil barrel thing over by forest or else like this spawn's going to happen. Like, there was quite a few teams or maybe all of them that were very good about here's the exact point on the map we can stand at. Here's the exact direction we can look. If we push a little bit past this, everything's going to break and spawns like happen. And obviously yeah. with this game, it's incredibly difficult to manage all of that. You <laughs> saw that the entire year, but I think Ray, I mean, again, quite a few of the guys would just be great to figure out like everything that they actually knew. Cause so much of this, like I can't even talk about on broadcast without seeming like a psychopath. Like I can't cast over black ops Four and be like, Hey, yo octane, he's looking through a wall right there. Like he's blocking the spawn. That's yeah. why this is happening. Like it's just going to sound insane. And obviously I might be wrong too. Cause it's not like I know because like the pros are very good about keeping this sort of thing under wraps. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. You just you just learn the craziest things if you ever get into a call with them. And they're just being honest about it. And yeah, I, I think it's I think we're gonna see more of it. I just it's it's mad to me how much we're gonna we're gonna see of it going forward. I mean, because you know things come out years later. Like um, I know people like even Black Ops Two. You know, hailed as one of the the all gold standards of competitive uh, esports. Oh, are you talking about the blur glitch? The blur glitch. Yeah, yeah and nobody dude. knew about it at the time. Right? Shit like that comes out eventually. And I'm sure in the next game, people will find it. I think spawns in this game were so interesting because they were... The best way to explain it is non-intuitive. And it sounds, you know, horrific. Um, and don't get me wrong, in some regards it is. Um, but it made it much harder for pros to, to figure shit out because chaos spawns were... I've always called them chaos spawns. When a spawn happens... And it is like two on different sides of the map, and you can't figure out why at a glance. Chaos spawn. They're spawning behind you, they're spawning in front of you, they're spawning to your side. And people are trying to call shit out. You're like, they're coming this way, they're coming that way. What the fuck is happening? You only really ever get to notice it properly in Codcaster. In game, you're like, I don't know what's going on, it's chaos, um, which is where the name comes from. This game had that because of squad spawns, and you feel like you could push something. It's like why some of the hills become unbreakable, right? Because it was just one of these ones like, you basically had. So and there are that's the thing right while we talk about this i'm not saying it's you know impossible i'm saying that pros by and large understand the mechanics of what they have to do to move it and sometimes even if they felt like they had got it they wouldn't be certain they're like i just don't know if my individual play has done enough here to move this along like have i have i done enough i've gone past the point i need to i've killed somebody 
it's now a little bit of a crapshoot in terms of where they're going to spawn because if there's a player in this location which i don't know or this location i don't know that's influencing more than my influencing i always called it salt and burn the earth i felt like you know to get some places you basically had to just wipe their entire team out and then just just kill repeatedly and just destroy everything in the area and then they might still spawn there you know it it, it was kind of chaos and i think that um that suffered a lot of teams early in this game right and i think some of the successes of teams early in this game were due to people understanding that better um just simply because it was different a lot yeah. different and like the difference is also like just because we play a new game every year like you genuinely have to take the time to like go and figure it out like the biggest reason we had so many like rookies or like challengers players come in is like how many different pro teams we have at the start of the year we're like I don't like this game. This is like the spawns are broken, whatever. Like I'm not going to play it. And there was teams that legitimately like going into launch weekend had maybe like a week of practice and it skipped a month. Meanwhile, you have teams like the empire that are playing the game before the game comes out to the point where they have S and D strats before launch day. And then they go and win every single opening tournament. Like, you had enough players and enough teams that just didn't put the effort in the start that allowed for guys like awakening Mac Draza, hollow, whoever spark vivid, like all those guys just to have that entry. Like if you play the game from the start, the amateur scene, isn't quite as good as it, but the pro scene will learn what 80, 85% of the game in the first like week, yeah. they'll have all the basic strats figured out. And that's when like the next 15% or whatever it is, that's the grind. That's what takes time. That's why you have to play it every single day. So you can make all these little micro adjustments and the pros are better than the amateur scene at that. But if the pros don't do anything at all, the amateur scene eventually is going to catch up and pass them to the point where there was a few amateur teams this year that very well could have beaten quite a few, if not, you know, half the CDL teams yeah. on a fairly consistent basis. So like, I don't know. You just, I, I guess that's a side issue, but a lot of players and teams shot themselves in the foot. And of course, now that we're dropping down to 48 starting spots or whatever it is, like not an <laughs> ideal time to not put the effort in. No, because if you're one of those lower teams, and we'll get onto this in a second, uh, if you're one of those lower teams, not really an awful lot stopping you just dumping the roster and just starting again. There's going to be a lot of talent floating about, you know. Um, while you're talking about Dallas Emperor being great at the beginning, I think it's now time to talk about them winning the World Championship. Did win the World Championship. Dallas Empire, the inaugural season of the Call of Duty League, win the World Championship. And you know what? It was a it was emotional. I I didn't think I'd be emotional, right? Watching it, because you know, I've seen this a half a dozen times, I've been at all the mall. I'm still sitting there watching the interviews going, Oh fucking, you know. <laughs> there's Krim going berserk, there's there's Clay, you know, again talking about how ridiculous it is. I'm like, yeah, his story is mad. Shotzi, Illy, it's just all of it. Like that, it seemed like the perfect storyline team to win this chip no agreed i honestly can't even like say it better than that right this was um again not to name names but i was talking to a coach on a different team that even like was telling me they're like you know what like as like tough as this year was like the dallas empire winning at the very end it just like has a nice bow to it or, or just like a nice like little end the icing on top whatever the metaphor is going to be but like yeah you have all the great storylines three rings for two different players established goat for crim I uh, clay even like dude and think about the insanity of how professionally you have to be if you're a team of five and i guess a lot of teams had that of not playing for stats making sure that you can get the win and putting like the team above all else and making sure that you have that good finishing point even though that like it had to have been Krimmer clay knew that one of those two was going to be gone after the year right like you have the yeah. three young gods on your team 
in like, I think a lot of people's collective minds, like they're the future of COD or whatever. And even with knowing that and having that just amount of just insane pressure in the background to still like be able to grind and still put the effort in and still get the win. Like that is genuinely impressive for any of the teams that were able to pull that (laughs) off. Like not just empire. Like this is something that apparently, and I had no idea either, but for like a month, apparently these players had that like in the background. So for all the guys that clutched up and went big, like again, just like tip the cap hats off. Like it, it is genuinely impressive. Wait a minute. How did you not know? I knew. <laughs> I just you actually know. I, I knew like a, a little while ago. Oh, and I was God. like, I didn't want to say anything. Uh, obviously, Dude, I, like, I, I kind of alluded to it on Twitter. Like uh, I, I dropped some hints, but I dropped shit all the time. And I'm like, I know it's coming. Uh, I, I can't believe you didn't know. I knew. <laughs> Dude, like, no. So like, obviously I hear things all the time, but I think genuinely for any roster move, any like drama related thing, at best, I found out like a day in advance before everyone else. Like I always find out right before the release, but no, I had no idea. Like I knew that 4v4 was like a talking point, potential, whatever, but I literally did not know until the announcement hit. And frankly, not even like two hours after that because I didn't check Twitter, but like, no, I had no idea. So, and again, the players, like, yeah, whatever, we can move on, but no, I, stuff, I, I, I So you were talking about the pressure of the 4v4, right? I also think Daz Empire put more pressure on themselves. Like, Think about all the shit talking Crim's done during the year. Like, like <laughs> he said the poster thing. You know, we'll not forgive, we'll forget the the beef with with Scump and all that going on. You know, like he put I'll never him, forget. Yeah, whoever it was. <laughs> he put himself under a lot of pressure. This is his legacy, right? It is, you know, and that's why probably why we've seen such great sound bites from him talking about I am the undisputed greatest. Stop having this conversation now. Like I've done it again. Shut up. And I'm like, no, that's fair. Um, but he put himself under pressure. Clay's got the pressure of him playing against ex-teammates, right? And the pressure of people saying he's old and washed and shit, you know, and he got carried by that other team. Well, he beat them and won another world championship. Shotzi, you know, come from a different game. He got, Shotzi got, people forget this, MVP, right? But I remember a time where people were just basically spitting on his name. Like, people were just absolutely down-talking him so much. Yeah. Um, same thing with the rest of the squad, right? I think, like, Hugh can, and and... No, that it's just it's mad to me, mad. I don't know. It's yeah, like it, just that team alone, like the theory crafting that they had, and I don't know if that's like Hastro's baby, if he's the guy that wanted to implement the plan, or if he had just talked to Clay and Krim or whoever about it. But just the idea of pairing up two veterans and just matching them with the three young guns. And granted, it's not a difficult call to throw Hook on your team, but it is still a moderate risk, I think, to pick up Clay and Krim, throw them on the same team in 2020. That's at least a small risk. I would yeah. say a pretty big risk to pick up. Well, if you ask Call of Duty, like anyone from Call of Duty, they would say that's a very big risk. Every single person that I'd ever talked to that watched him play Halo was like, this is not a risk at all. He's going to be amazing. <laughs> just like, trust me. And they were very adamant about that. But like, even a buddy of mine who... uh does some like observing and has done stuff for like the um bravo charlie delta streams open challenge whatever it's going to be he had watched shotty play at like the last event of black ops 4 and he's like no he's trash like he just doesn't know cod and so everyone from call of duty when shotty got picked up was like this is a big risk we don't know how he's going to pan out and then illy is also a- at least a partial risk of like we know he's going to be solid we know he's going to be respectable but deserving to be on like the top team he had done nothing on land to prove that he had just turned 18 so like it was a pretty big jump for the organization to go with that roster and it paid off like obviously beautifully because they get yeah. the win, but you're exactly right. Crim's pouring pressure on himself. That pays off. The org puts pressure on the self. Uh, it pays off just a whole host of things that 
uh, it came together for him in the end. The more I think about it, the more mental that team is. It is wild. Like, Completely absurd. Because I know Stroh was putting out things at the start of the year, and, and uh, you know, here's a, here's a hint. I have, another, I have another podcast this week. I'm doing two. Um, and Stroh is coming on to talk about this. Yeah. Um, he talked about building a team at the start of the year and the way he wanted to do it. Like, <laughs> I can't believe this was his strategy when he came out of the gate, you know, like... Because Clay, Clay was rumored to go to the Ravens. Krim had been fucking destroyed by the community. But I know Hasbro really likes Krim in regards to his work ethic and, and before. And I remember last time around, uh, you know, if you go back the old Cole EG thing where they could have gone to Envious. And he always regretted not having, just picking up who he wanted. So yeah. I think that, that lesson has stuck with him because they went on to form the dynasty after that. So that stuck with him. And then, you know, he said, you know, he called Shotzi at the start of the year. He said, yeah, we're going to take him. And I think, obviously, credit to, I will give credit to Stroh there saying Shotzi, the Shotzi pick, he's clearly done some homework because it's a big thing to him to pick these in the inaugural year. And he's clearly gone, right, this is the guy. This is the guy he's taken. Same thing with Huke, you know. Huke, for me, was obviously incredibly talented in a raw sense, but I didn't know how he would interact um, with Clay and Krim. I didn't yep. know how that was going to work out. So for, for building this team, whatever strategy he employed is either like 2,000 IQ or he took a few calculated risks because now you talk about it, it's, it's ridiculous in pretty much every regard. Agreed. I think the... I don't know if this is the way to like cap this off as well, but like it also like in one regard sucks and the other part is entertaining that like the conversation isn't over either because like it is still theory crafting with that like pickup of a roster and still everyone is now going to be looking at his team and being like it happened online. You're all <laughs> like there, there's always going to be all this stuff like the game plays a part of it that like it doesn't matter what they do, we're still going to go into next year and everything's going to be like nope, not good enough. Like you have to do it again or else we're going to like trash you for it. So like. The pressure, obviously, at least for a couple weeks or months or till the new games come out can like be waved away, but like they still have to get back to the grind. It's never going process or else, you know, a Chicago or Atlanta or whoever, whatever other team, the Raven, whoever can come out. And if they just dominate the next two years, they can be like, hey, that original strat you had sucked. It wasn't good enough. It was only for a one off in a like a weird global pandemic sort of year. So they still have to like grind, but obviously, like it, well, I don't even say the short term, but at least for the first year, it was a, I don't know if I want to use the word genius. That seems like it's too far, but an incredibly smart call. Yeah. A lot of people say in the chat about the, the team picking themselves, like uh, Hugh picking Ely and Shotzi and all this sort of stuff. Like, while true, bear in mind that Stroh isn't just going to go, yeah, whatever you want, mate, it's fine. Like, he's not going to just roll out. Stroh is very, very active in terms of, like, building a squad. He yeah. knew he needed a frat face. He knew he needed the, the star power to con compete. He knew he needed a competitive roster. Like, while it's while you know there is a long story about the team kind of picking themselves, don't don't sit there and, and delude yourself into believing that you know there wasn't uh, a, a good amount of judgment on the point of Hastro. Like if the, if you know if you could go, oh, I want to pick up for you know uh, I can't even think of a random name. If he picked up someone who with a bad record or a bad attitude or whatever or somebody who he didn't think could do it. Stro wouldn't have just bent over and gone, yeah, yeah, just pick who you want, mate. In fact, if you just want to get your mates from down the pub, that's fine. They'll play on the road. Like, that isn't going to happen. 
that is a very calculated risk on behalf of Stroud, who listens to his players and puts it forward. And now Rambo Ray's there. I think it'll be, you know, Rambo Ray will obviously have an input onto the next roster or any roster changes, their subs, whatever going forward. Like, it's not, I, I feel like of the legacy teams, some of the legacy teams have very intelligent people in them who will pick players that fits their franchise and the movement of the game. And it should be more this year than last, because the last year was a lot of the Friendship Olympics. Um, but yeah, so I think for me, you know, don't, don't sit there and just go, oh, yeah, yeah, they'll pick themselves. Like, that's only a part of the story. It's true, but it's a part of the story. Like, sitting there pretending, like, they just walked in and just gave Stro a team list and went, yeah, these are the guys we've got. Like, that's just not going to be. Um, but it's a risk. Like, that is a risk for Stro to put on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, I would have to imagine it's, like, every single player they pick up, they probably agonize. Well, not agonize over the decision. Like, hey, do you want to pick up Hook? Yes. Do you want to pick up Krim? Yes. But, like, as you get past like maybe two players, you do have to start agonizing. Cause honestly, one of the crazier things about the league is like all these teams did have to build an entire roster without even knowing what the meta of the game was going to be. Yeah. Right. Like you had to make sure you picked up at minimum one flex player, just because you don't know if it's going to be four AR one sub, or maybe one gun is broken. It's a full sub meta. Like all of this was done at random. So I don't entirely buy into the narrative of like the friendship league. I know that was a tagline. I would say almost every single team handled the roster thing about as well as they could with off the top of my head, I can think of three exceptions <laughs> and there might be like wiggle room, to like argue about specific players and stuff like that. But I, I don't think for any team, like these were agonizing decisions and incredibly difficult. And just the fact that like teams are negotiating with players about to get them. And then the player the next day is like, Oh, actually I'm on this team now. And I'm like, it's paired up with these three. Like it was chaos before yeah. the start of the uh, the inaugural season. Well, you got you like I said about the the legacy teams having like good knowledge. There are so there are some of the franchises, by the way, never even watched COD before they had a spot. Never even watched Call of Duty. <laughs> they had to just basically go in blind and hope they got the right management coaches and everybody from the thing down. So this person who's you know just forking over money. Yeah, how much do you want? Two hundred grand a year. All right. That's we'll play it for. No idea. No idea about the player. Obviously, like some due diligence has been done. But they don't. They don't have any specific insight into that shit. Like they just don't. You know, they had to rely on other people who could be shysters, who could, you know, be overblown of their own opinion. Um, yeah. So that was that was kind of crazy. Kind of leads me on to our next bit, right? Um, obviously, it's all kind of kicking off again. Um, the big news: the four v four. Four v four has come out and gone into five v five. We're losing twelve starter slots. 12 sub spots because apparently it's one sub as well um wait when you say one sub you mean like there's only five total people allowed on a team I, that's what i've heard that's what i've heard they're going down and I, that's the bit so i knew it was 4v4 sub thing is unconfirmed so, is that, so toronto has to drop what literally half their roster then I don't know. Well, you've got to have one. I don't know the maximum. I don't know if you can have more. So, oh, okay. I'll minimum honest, of one sub. Okay, sorry. I so I knew the 4v4 thing was a lot because I had it from so many different sources. The sub thing is... is I'm more or less convinced that that's true, I think. No point in having two subs. I mean, this year, subs weren't used as much. People picked up fresh. Um, and the expansion team thing, I didn't know as well because I heard that rumor about no expansion teams and I was like, I haven't got enough sources for this. Um, and obviously, you know, it's difficult for me to go digging because I'm not supposed to know some things um, being in the position I'm currently at. But I just I just know too many people. Um, so those those two things, like why well, I didn't even allude to them, 
but I've heard it's only one sub. Uh, which you know, which I tweeted out this morning. I went, apparently it's only one sub, so it's twenty-four people no longer in the league. Realistically, although realistically, you know, some of those spots and those uh, those sub spots were just bullshit anyway, um, and they shouldn't, those those players never were going to play a day in their lives. Um, so it's 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 kicked off roster mania, and there's got to be a lot of teams just absolutely stressing their balls out because they thought, oh, maybe I could make a top spot, maybe I could do this. Now they're going, your worst player, your fifth is now gone. There's a lot. Here's the other thing, right? People haven't thought about this. Is they're going, oh, you know, oh, maybe they just move them to sub. Some of these players are too good to be sub. It's like Clayster. I said this argument. Clay is too good to be a sub. So he, even though he's been dropped from his from his team. Has to go on a main slot somewhere. Yeah, he's no, okay, going so, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Prime example of this is FaZe. Dude, if I'm like, I'm not recommending this because I want the players in the league, but if I'm on FaZe, I'm like, I'm not dropping anyone off the main roster and giving them another team. I don't care if you think Major Maniac or Priest or whoever is the worst player. I do not want to play against them. If I have the option and it were me and I was Thanos or whatever, I would keep them on the bench. I would try to pick <laughs> up all the best players and keep them on the bench and be like, I don't have to deal with them anymore. Like, it was. I, there's some degree of relief of you going into champs knowing you don't have to play against Dashy, which obviously for whatever team on Piccadilly sucks that you had to deal with Dashy. You don't have to deal with a gunless. You don't have to deal with a naval, no loony. Like there was so much talent and so many good players that just weren't at champs at all this year, kept on a bench that like it had to have been very nice for certain teams and certain players. And like, again, if I'm on a team like FaZe or dude, like again, even if I was the Empire, as much as I would want the best for Clay in his career and the moral and ethical thing is to let him play in another team, it's like, yeah. I don't want to play against you though. I do not want to play against the pissed off Clay <laughs> who I know is going to be gunning for me next year because he just took down every single person that he played against yeah. the year prior. He took them all down, right? Like, I don't want the same thing to happen to me. It's chaos. And this is actually, I don't even know. We don't, well, I'll just throw it out there. There was, for the after gaming roster, I remember talking to Mud Dog briefly, and this was very early on in the year, back when we still land events, we could speak to each other in person, where he was like, yeah. I know we're getting to the point where I like almost certainly have to make a roster move, but who the hell do I drop off this team? Like, if I drop Dashy, he's going to get on their team and fry me. If I drop Kenny, he's going to fry me. If I drop Slasher, it's like, there's so much talent just because of how stacked the league is nowadays that like, all these teams are in such a tough spot or at least like 10 of them are just like, you even want to drop your like worst player on the team. Cause like, they're still going to be great. Well, that, that's, I think that's the, the clay situation, right? He's a restricted free agent. Cause they know. So, and this, this kind of leads into the London news. So I, I kind of tweeted this out in a series of tweets. Cause I, I kind of had to get it out there because people don't always think of the wider conversation. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing a podcast. And one of the reasons I'm doing videos. So, the reason Clay's restricted free agent is because, first of all, Clay is such a fucking big brand. Like, somebody's going to take him, right? Somebody is going to take Clay as an asset, right? They've got to. So, all that money you've put into him, you know, his buyout, all that sort of stuff from last year, you're going to want to get some money out of him because people are going to be willing to pay him. Like, he is a valid sale. Like that's why he's a restricted free agent, not just a free agent. You know, Hasho Kuka, oh, yeah, I'll just drop him, good friends, all that sort of stuff. But that's not realistic in business. These are businesses. And as much as, you know, loyalty and, and friendship and uh, family and all these sort of things that these franchises say, at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters and will matter in the majority of situations is money. Because they have to stay solvent and they have to make money and they have to try and get a return of investment. 
Clay, you know, they've paid for Clay. Clay's won them a world championship. They love him the bits. They wouldn't let him go if they didn't have to. But now they do. That decision has been made. Okay, what do we do with him? Well, we'll sell him. Yeah. We'll sell him. It's it's a hundred percent the case of it. And obviously, the way that this leads into the London news, um, actually uh, I'll let you kind of weigh in on that as well if you want to. I didn't want to <laughs> before because this is a long, long bit of a, a thing I have to go into. Oh, just the London. I mean, I, with my understanding of the London situation is almost the same as it is for almost every team. I mean, I, I've never seen a single contract. I don't know. I'm sure a ton of different players have like weird things in their contract, but I think what I've heard and what players say is a lot of the contracts. It's like the the one plus one like option kind of deal where like the, the players have the option of the second year to come back and like the orgs have to go something like that. So I think basically a good chunk of the entire pro community is kind of like up in the air of like, if the teams need to drop whoever off, like they should be able to do that. Not a problem. They can trade to whoever they can keep the players on the bench. Like I think the orgs now have, I mean, more power than teams like have ever had in call of duty before and can kind of mix and match however they want. And obviously with how much money is on the line, again, these players and teams are going to be agonizing over these decisions. So I have no idea. I don't know what the stability of the league looks like. I don't know how much of a mix and match we're going to see. I really, I could see a ton of chaotic things looking like we've dashy apparently hinting it. He already has a team together, which maybe is possible. Maybe not. I mean, if players have known for like a month, like they're going to be game planning for stuff. The orgs <laughs> obviously have their own idea. Like, who knows? I really just have not a clue. So, so yeah, so this bit's where it gets a little bit complicated, and I will front face this with saying that I am not a lawyer, and this is not confirmed. <laughs> this is the best conversation. Sorry, look, I have no authority on this, but yeah, yeah. here it is. <laughs> um, and I have to say that because, it, first of all, it's true, and second of all, I don't want to give false advice knowingly. So I'm not, you know, if, I, if I'm wrong, that's fine. But I was contacted because I was tweeting about about multi-year contracts. And some players, I believe, throughout the league, um, I, I mean, you even heard one in the team people nobody's been talking about, have been, were sold on the idea of multi-year contracts. And apparently that isn't even a thing. Like, it's not supposed to be a thing at all. It's all one plus one. Um, which is why when I put my tweets out, I said, yeah, I've heard some of them all years. Um, and this means, obviously, that they get a chance to re-up with that player again. It's just basically the same year contract again, right? And if they don't want to re-up because they want to negotiate a lower... So you can't re-up and go... I say chance, I'll say, like, I paid you 100 grand for this year, right? There's your 100K. Uh, it's a one plus one deal. So to re-up, basically, I need to pay you 100 grand again. Well, I don't think you're worth 100 grand. I think you're worth 80 grand. So I'm not going to re-up um, because that to re-up and to have that extra year... I, that is not negotiation that is just me signing you again so to not do that technically that is an end of contract and a new negotiation right so i believe and this isn't like i said this isn't confirmed i have to be very careful here I believe what's happened with london is i don't know how big the changes they are making i don't know anything of the internal politics but i imagine that the reason this reaction came about from wask and i think scraps and i think it's, it's been walked back a little bit now is probably to do with something of they want to renegotiate the contracts for those players. London, by the way, could all re-sign up back to London. All of them. Every single, and, and I think this will happen with a good majority of, of players in the league. I don't know what the salary cap is. We've had no news on that so far. If they you are renegotiating... the salary cap for next year? Yeah, yeah. The, well, the luxury tax is called the salary, not salary cap, but I've had no news on that. But I imagine some of these are now renegotiating on an actualized value to the franchise versus a perceived value from the start of the year. A lot of them didn't really know. Um, so 
when Waska's got this news that his contract wasn't being renewed for the next year, it doesn't mean that London aren't going to sign him. They might very well do it. They're just going to negotiate another one plus one with him. That's my understanding of it. So I, I, I think when everyone went, oh, all of London's been dropped, you know, everybody's a thing. I think it was a little bit of a maybe an overreaction or a misunderstanding from the community of, of what's actually happening. Because I believe that's what's happening right now, I think. And this is going to happen in more than one team. Contracts are going to be... It wouldn't surprise me to see a ton of them go FA or free restricted free agent and then be renegotiated back with their original team. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean, I again, not a lawyer, and I have no idea, but it might turn into a situation where there's a couple of players or a couple... I mean, I guess it would have to be a player thing that are like sort of stuck in the old way of being like, hey, I'm talented enough. Like, I'm going to get paid my due. I'm going to be able to get on a good team. And like the old school, like COD way, like that is 100% going to work. Like if you're good enough, someone is going to pick you up and try to make something happen. But there might be players now with the way they've handled themselves or something like that. There might be half the workers in the league are just going to be like, nope, I don't want you. I don't care if you're the best in the world. Like you're not worth it for whatever reason. We don't like your professionalism, your brand. It could be some weird, strange reason, or it could just be like, Hey, you're only worth a hundred grand or 80 rather than a hundred, whatever. Yeah. And there might be a ton of players or like, I'm telling you, it's just it's just going to be strange. Like, we're what? Today's Wednesday or Thursday, something like that. It's Champs just ended Sunday. We've already had J-Cap retire. Clayster got booted off the team after they won the world championships. It's now the 4v4. Like, we already know 12 people are losing their jobs or getting demoted or whatever. Like, we are four days into this offseason. We have London talking about their contracts being weird. Like, it is so early on, and it's already so chaotic. And, like, who the hell knows, Bryce? No, agree. and that's why, like, I, I front-faced it. I have had no information out of London. None. Yeah. This is this is pure conjecture on my part of me understanding roughly what's going on through, and I understand the cost cutting uh, because I mean I'm not going to sit here and go, oh yeah, you're taking money out of players' pockets. I, I want the money in players' pockets, admittedly, but I have said I thought the salaries last year were perhaps a tad too high. <laughs> um, from what I had heard, the average was, and what a lot of players were on, and I said before. Uh, I always thought 1.575 was a lot for a luxury tax. And for me, uh, people said, oh, maybe it'll go down to 1.2 because that's 20%. I said, but you know, it doesn't kind of weigh in with this. And if it is cost-cutting, then why not go down to one and figure it out from there? Like, it wouldn't spread. It's still very good money for everyone. You could have all four of your main roster on 200 grand and still have 100K left. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's happening. I'm very curious to find it out. That's obviously more of a business question. Um... But it is, and I suspect we're going to see a lot of it. I suspect that some of these franchises do not want to pay 200, 300 and more to players that maybe haven't performed as well this year or haven't done a lot of the brand work or haven't built themselves up to be gods in the community. Because if there's that much talent going to be there, 12 players being dropped and players like the caliber of clay and you, like you said, Atlanta phase, they probably don't want to spend the money to keep one of those players on the bench. Same thing with, with Chicago Huntsman. You know, it's all well saying, you know, oh, we'll put them on the bench, but that's, you know, a good chunk of money. That player has to accept that position. Don't forget, right? They could just say, fucking no. <laughs> unless you're, unless they're choosing to re-up that plus one at the previous year's salary, which, think of this as a business decision. We'll take, a, I don't know, let's let's put a, a random player in. Uh, who's who's currently on my timer? We'll put Maven. He's <laughs> just off my line. Maven's, you know, he's had a good year. Top team, right? This is obviously the player, Maven. Um, <laughs> he is, you know, worth. I know, I know it's a weird thing to say, Maven, but 
he is worth 200k a year or whatever he is for playing in the league a great player do you then waste that money to re-up his contract to lock him back in because you don't want him going somewhere else but even though he's the worst of a top five team he's still it, it, like you said right take Atlanta phase any one of those players you know you don't want to play against them but what do you do? Like, how do you make that fucking decision? Like, who am I getting rid of? Because I have to, I have to do it for business sense. Unless they're all willing to take a pay cut to stay together, and one of them is willing to sit on the bench, not gonna happen. Uh, and some teams might even evaluate, be like, hey, well, if we spend two hundred grand to keep a player on the bench, like that boosts our odds X amount to like go and win champs and make the money to make the investment. Like, again, I like, I just like almost want to take the back seat on this, just because. Every single team is going to have their own particular set of goals, how much they want to spend, what they can afford, the players they want, who they can actually get to attach themselves to. Like every single team, it's going to be such a particular nuanced thing. And there's just so much behind the scenes that we're never going to be privy to. Yeah. Like, I think it's just impossible to comment with any sort of not authority, but like effective, like knowledge base behind it. Yeah. It's just random or not random, but it's chaotic. I'm like, it might even be a thing where, like, I don't know, some team has a stats wizard that is able to figure out the actual value of a player. It'd be like, no, nope, Crim <laughs> Six is worth $247,356 and not a penny more because he has this amount of kills. He'll, like, all of it. Like, who knows how advanced some of these teams are going to get, but oh, money boy, I yeah. guess that's just what the, the league is now, right? It's right now, year one, the three teams that did it the best were Faye, Chicago, and Dallas, I guess, in reverse order, whatever. And that's like the starting point. So now everyone else has to go back to the drawing board, figure it out. And like, we have an official evaluation year over year of what are the best strategies in like Call of Duty. Yeah. And we just, it, it's just going to take time for everyone to figure all this out. I mean, it's, it's just mad to think about. I don't envy the franchises trying to work this out. Because I mean, like you said, dropping a big player, never going to be a good thing. Dallas, you know, haven't come out smelling a rose of it dropping clay because people are fanatic clay fans even if they're doing it all the best intentions have to do it all that sort of stuff we dropped him early so he can get another team all this sort of stuff right they've done it right they've done all this um and yet still people are like ah oh, how could you do this to clay and i'm like well it's it's business it sucks for clay it sucks for clay but i understand and it's the same thing with this 4v4 right i don't want to this is a difficult one to bring up because Going to 4v4, I believe, is necessary. Every business in the world has suffered from the pandemic. Uh, well, not every business. You know, some of them just made billions, but we're not going to talk about capitalism <laughs> right now. Um, it's it's a tough time with return of investments, with the COVID, you know, affecting revenue streams and all this sort of stuff. Obviously, 4v4 looks like a cost-cutting method. The the silver side is uh, silver side. The silver lining is kind of want 4v4. That's the benefit. Is that out of all this misery, with players losing spots, money going down, you know, the emotions that have been running high from even like Krim said, you know, he, he put out a blasting tweet about it. At least, at least in this horrible situation for cost cutting, that looks like it has to be done to, you know, increase the viability of these teams because they are businesses. The franchises, as much as they, you know, their social media will talk about loving Call of Duty and the atmosphere and the intensity of winning and all that sort of stuff. Sorry, they're businesses. They're run by businessmen. Right, I don't think there's a billionaire in the league who's doing it because he loves Call of Duty. Right, I haven't heard of one that's done it like that. Right, people are investing into these things. You know, you'd have to. It's like it'd probably be me or Chance if we were, if we won. You know, four hundred million, we'd probably have a crack at a franchise, and we would love it, and it'd be less of a thing. But these, <laughs> this is not the case. This is more. We have to make this return on investment, or we go under. 
you know people then lose their jobs completely on the back end um but it's it's something that realistically has to happen at least the cost cutting benefits us in the fact that we get 4v4 no expansion teams suck but i didn't expect expansion teams after this year because of the pandemic i don't know i I, I, the, the positive spin I have on this is like, obviously nine out of 10 things that happen with four before positive. The one major negative is like, it is going to negatively impact people's lives. And maybe there, I mean, there's potential things that can be done to mitigate it. If teams end up having like an Academy team that they throw into challengers and like salary them, like there's potentials for it to like, not be terrible type deal, but initially, yes, 12 starting spots are going to be gone. That does suck. But I will say, I actually appreciate the community reaction to it. Like, it's not like everyone, like, held a hand saying kumbaya or, like, sweet 4v4, let's move on. Like, it seemed like a ton of people on Twitter, a ton of people in the center blew up, and they were like, hey, like, everyone took the time to acknowledge, like, this actually does suck for the players, for Clay especially, because of the three-time world champ just gets dropped. But <laughs> I at least them. appreciate the acknowledgement of the negative. Yeah. I, I just think that's nice, at least. Which, yeah, it, it's... I don't know what it, am I, a kindergarten school teacher, but whatever. <laughs> it's a... It's, it's what... Uh... Uh, a friend of mine from the show actually would say is a shit Sani, right? There are good sides, but there's also that feeling it is shit. Um, yeah. And it, it is going to suck. And I'm hoping these people find something. Challenges, I hope challenges changes. I've got a whole thing. I've got a, I've got a document, by the way, um, for a future video of mine about challenges, uh, about how the, the impact of it. And we won't go into it now, right? We're going to do questions from the chat because... I don't want to spend another hour talking about challenges. It's a whole mess of infrastructure and business side of it. And, and it's crazy, right? That's what I think pisses me off about hot takes in the community. And one of the reasons why I don't always tweet out my hot takes, right? Chance, you know, for a fact, right? You, you yourself very well versed in, in the inner workings of Call of Duty. You know, your shit, you have an educated opinion. It's difficult even knowing everything that we know just to put out an opinion on Twitter, because in that amount of characters, you leave out context, you leave out so much crap. So when I see hot takes from people who don't know stuff, it irritates the shit out of me. Irritates the shit out of me because to put something so deep and wide in a box like that is just detrimental for everybody. Stop stop putting your shit on Reddit. Stop it. Just fucking pack it in. All right, some of you. You need it you need to fucking calm down. Stop tweeting some people with your shit takes because it doesn't help anybody. Don't have a go at people when you don't know what you're talking about. Um, like I, I mean, I do it, but you know, I've put it at least in longer form context. <laughs> and there's an hour of me talking shit, um, but I'm willing to take that bullet for you. Uh, but I don't know. Anyway, questions from the chat. Let's see uh, what people have got coming in. Um, brilliant. First question: What? How do we think four before will impact challenges? I think challenges is going to be crazy, right? Uh, in terms of the amount of talent in there and i worry about the pros reaction to it in terms of dropping out of the golden league and those wonderful paychecks and the it's it's a mental toll i think i think it's a mental toll Charles, i don't know what your thing is it seeing some of these big names drop into challenges uh i mean the initial reaction is just from like the the pure competitive side of like dude that competition is going to be insane like, again, outside of the Australia region, like, it's already super competitive. NA, like, there's a couple teams that were more cream of the crop towards the top, but not, like, we already had enough teams from both EU and NA that very well uh, would have and could have been competitive in the league. 
Yeah. Like you don't even have to add extra pros that were already in or like slip one guy in. I mean, as a full five man roster, the talent was there. Now you're adding talent to that pool. And again, this just makes the the road, the, the path to be a pro even more difficult, even more prestigious. It makes just making money potentially that much more difficult. Yeah. Like I know the teams that were at the very top ended up making a decent chunk of change. I think there was more money put in a challengers than any other year, potentially in any other esport. but I don't know how quickly there's a fall off sort of this thing. So now if you have extra teams, if it like ends up getting more spread thin towards the top, like it is going to be very difficult in you know, hopefully the game is going to be great and that could be a saving grace. But like we already saw this year, X number of players that have retired. It is stressful times and it is not easy in the slightest to be a competitive Call of Duty player. So if anything, again, that just it just kicks it up a notch, makes that much more difficult. Yeah, it really does. I can't I can't disagree with anything you said there. Um, all right. This one's a bit of a tough one. And we'll, and we'll kind of shoot from the hip. Uh, what do you do with Chicago? Uh, I think everyone's instinct is to drop Pristini. I, I would say Scump and Formal, you just I you too just much of a brand. Drop. Just even outside of gameplay, yeah, too much of a brand. And then, yeah, and then Envoy, you can't drop either. So I think there's your core three, and with those, you have two subs, one AR. Maybe look for a flex. I would, and honestly, you could keep either Twin in, in that situation. I still think. I don't know exactly when or how these decisions to be made. I don't know if the salary cap is going to be uh, adjusting to it, but. I think for quite a few of the teams, especially those at the top, wait till the new can- like game comes out and just trial the players and see what works best. And just like a lot of these teams could just keep everybody. Like if I'm Chicago, I don't necessarily want to get rid of anyone on that team because they might have the potential to be great. It's like Pristini wasn't on this team till halfway like through the year, yeah. ends up replacing Gunless. I think Gunless toe-to-toe, at least at different times in the past couple of years, has been the pl- better player. Doesn't mean he's the better fit for the team. So like I wouldn't want to get rid of Preston if Preston is better at running the sub, even though he's great with the AAR. If it turns out the game is going to be a three-sub meta or whatever it's going to be, like I-, I think you need to take the time. And of course you have to look at other options as well, depending on what free agents, but like, dude, every single one of these <laughs> roster questions, Brycey, it's going to come down to just like, who knows? Cause free agents are available. Like it's just, yeah. it, it's going to be chaos, right? It is. It is. And obviously, you know, you're right. We don't have some of the variables. We don't know what the luxury tax is doing. So it's difficult for us to, to quantify that one. So that's why I said, we'll just do it. We'll touch on it quickly before going into it. Um, yeah. Oh, that's uh this is a great one, Chance. Um, did you get fined for the F-bomb? No, I didn't. I, <laughs> as far as I know, there's no language in anyone's contract that has anything to do with fine. Like for casters, at least, I think there's a threshold where instead of fine, you just get fired. And if you cross that line, like you're just gone. It's not okay. like, hey, pay two grand or whatever it is. It's just like you're gone. Like that was way too far. Uh, you had a nice run, uh, and that's the end of it. But no, I did not. Uh, you get a I got, message or a, a, an email come in. I, I've unfortunately cursed more than once on broadcast before. I'll get like cheeky comments from whomever at Activision and just be like, Hey, you know, like maybe don't do that live on broadcast type <laughs> deal, but never to the, the point of like threats or whatever. And I will say one of the most difficult parts about casting from home is it's easy when you're at an event to make the mental switch of like turn yep. on professional mode. I'm catching myself and stopping myself from cursing so much while on broadcast from home, because I'm used to playing COD and Bryce, I'm sure you've had this too. You yep. get a little bit angry when you play. You yep. might say a bad word or two and like, I'm sitting in the same chair. It's the same monitor. Like I'm just, I'm used to being able to, you know. It's it's more relaxed. More like, I mean, first of all, right, we're human. Uh, and obviously as adults, we swear. And 
Swear words Ugh. are by large great. <laughs> yeah. It's a great part of my vocabulary. Love yeah. them. Um, I, 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 I have mixed feelings on this. Obviously, it needs to be professional, but I think, I think it's such an old way of thinking. Uh, it's an eighteen plus game. We're adults. I understand for kids, you're not supposed to. But I even have this thing where I don't think you know. Like it's just it's a describing word. Like obviously it has a vulgar context, but it's not in of itself vulgar in you know that sort of way. Like it's not damaged. And this is just a long thought about my thoughts on on language itself. It's such a common part of it in any adult conversation. Nobody would blink an eye. Suddenly yeah. it becomes taboo when you walk into an office, even though if you go with those same people to an office to a pub, perfectly acceptable again. It's, yeah, it's I, maddening to me, and I and I hate it. And I will say the Brits generally are much more progressive on the language thing than Americans. But like for every single tweet I got, everybody's just like, ah, like you said the thing, you shouldn't have done that. But no one's like, you need to get fired. I don't want this on broadcast. My children watch this. Like everyone including the other casters talent activision fans whoever like everyone had a mature response of just like ah like you did the thing but not you know yeah. it wasn't overblown no massive overreaction so i'm i'm not happy with the fact that i said it but i appreciate you know they didn't fire me on the spot which was nice <laughs> <laughs> i said they should have given you a promotion i have done i have uh i've got in trouble more by the way for things i've said off camera than i have on camera um, yeah, that's I have, yeah, that's gotta I be have, true actually. Yeah, 100%. I, have, I have said things in green rooms with Pete will looked at me and go, What did you just say? And I'm like, That's that's a normal thing. It's just because you're Americans. Americans have a terrible <laughs> time with this. I think it's the C word that gets me in trouble more than anything, because Americans not normal over there. Um where I, especially in Essex. Dude, where I'm we're from, coming around to it, dude. We're getting more used to yeah. it. We just we're we're slow paced with certain things. Australia's even more progressive than I am with it. But for me, it's a term of endearment for a lot of people. <laughs> Obviously, it's a vulgar term, but it it doesn't. It's I don't mean it in that context. Anyway, uh, Lord Brinton says, "Chance I miss my main AR. Looking over my shoulder. Please come home. I'm guessing you've got a GB to go to. No, not GB. The, we just played league play together. I've yeah. actually, dude." I forgot how fun competitive Call of Duty can be. I started playing <laughs> World War II GBs, like Black Ops 4, League Play, stuff like that the past few days, and like I've been having a great time. It's been nice. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Are people are saying they think that maybe the uh, the twins are a package deal. You know, maybe they leave together. Versus, well, I, okay, they already didn't team with each other at the start of this year, so I, in no Came way, shape, together. or form, like I think. Magnets. But at the same time, if they've already shown that willingness to split, in my mind, there's no way they're a package deal. Like they might like try to push it, but I that like in my, there's no way either one of those players is gonna say hundred percent if this guy's not playing on my team, I'm not playing. Like I really doubt either one of those guys says that. Even yeah. if they want to be on the same team, which is fine. Like you can do whatever you want, but Yeah, I can say that. All right, let's uh let's take a last question. Shockwaves, bro. Last question, and I'll let Chance uh, you know, get back to what he was doing. I don't know what I don't know what you do in the offseason chance. I've always imagined you just in a string vest in the in the woods somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my uh, entire thing growing the hair out and don't shave until you come back um let's talk about this uh given how many roster changes were made this year usually an am instead of an existing sub will teams prep for this and maybe put more thoughts into their subs next season um good question the question is i fucking hope so uh because i thought the sub situation this year was disgraceful and i've gone on record saying this before i think some of the franchises should be ashamed of themselves uh, rather than using their subs or planning for subs in a realistic fashion, they just kind of went, ah, bollocks to it. Um, some teams didn't do that, but I think a good few teams did, and I hated it. 
And it showed. It showed when you guys sucked and didn't have anyone to replace you. And I'm glad you fucking sucked. Well, I, so this goes back to it, it might just be tough to evaluate, right? Like if you're working with, you know, a million dollars for the salary cap or whatever the hypothetical yeah. is going to be, do you want to stack the full five-man roster and hope for the best and like lead the subs as you're not expecting them to play? And then if you need to pick up someone through the year, hope you can get a trade in, like – it's complicated enough that I think all the teams are going to attempt to learn from it. And certainly some of the teams need to do a better job of it, but it's very tough to call of like how good of a player do you want on the bench? Or do you hope you can make a trade or do you hope that there's going to be enough talent, even in the challenger circuit that you can use your alternate team for whatever. Like I, I still think one of the best things that you could do with like the, the setup that we have is pick up a bunch of S and D stars and have that be your scrim partner. You put, you pay them the bare minimum and say, Hey, you're going to play in every single online tournament possible. You need to hit these X amount of S and D games you play per week to keep yourself fresh. And you get bonuses for whatever to keep those guys motivated and have that be your S and D scrim partner. Just even something simple like that, I think could be massively beneficial to a team. Yeah, no, I agree because I mean, I mean, think of the the value of that is that you keep your, your strat secret. You, I mean, you could even incentivize that team to, I mean, you may not even have to pick them up into your sub spots. You could just say to a team and have an agreement with them. We're going to play yeah. you an S&D. Every time you beat us, we'll give you cash. Sure. Right? We will, we will incentivize beating us because we want you to be as good as you can be because we need to get better at search. Um, and you can have that with a couple of teams, you know, basically playing glorified wages, except it's it's a training tool. Um, it's It's a really good idea, to be fair. But I think... I think subs should be taken more secret here. I think there are a... I think if I'm being honest, any uh, one worth its salt will be going towards looking at good ams, saying, hey, let's put him on a sub bench, take a risk. Because you could do... I mean, if you have two subs like this year, it, what they should have done is picked up a viable veteran that they can try out and put in if they have the worst-case scenario. There are good veterans, middle-of-the-pack veterans, lower-end veterans who can just sit in that spot... Go play in challenges, and if you need them, they're not going to shit the bed if someone gets ill or something. And then you can have an arm where you go, right, we need a maze of roster change. We either put in this vet or we put in this this arm we haven't trialed as much who who looks shit hot, but we don't know how he plays at the pro level. That's a viable strategy for me. It's two different options. Speed, AR, whatever you need. Get it. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning just sort of generically, like the, the subs this past year was just weird because like they were sort of in like purgatory where they like couldn't play in challengers or at least like one or two of them couldn't play in challengers, but the rest could or whatever like that yeah. was. And I think I'm pretty sure I've seen comments about like that being adjusted for the future. Yes, so like has, has I, been, I think, yeah, generically, whether or not your criticism, Bryce, is on specific teams or the league or whatever, I think there's enough adjustments being made that as a collective, the sub spots are just going to be utilized in a better form whether that's for the weird s d stuff the weird strats for the generic fill-in players or whatever it's going to be like there should be a, a, a discernible sense of like improvement in that regard awesome all right well i think that'll be everything from now chance thank you so much for coming on man i mean like if anything this should just be your podcast i'll just i'll rename it for like the next week you're, <laughs> you're too good man like you're too good um, so I appreciate it, man. I know it was short notice. I was I was kind of up in the air about whether to do another one day, but I really wanted to talk about stuff. So appreciate it. Any last words for the stream, everybody watching and stuff? No, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Brycey, and you're just you're too kind. You gotta you gotta be meaner <laughs> to me. Honestly, it's a little bit that, weird. That, Chance, that's the thing. You know that I'm a mean guy to a lot of people, but <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you've just done nothing but greatness since you've come on. So I appreciate that, man. 
That's awesome. All right. Uh, to everybody watching and listening right now on Spotify and YouTube and stuff, appreciate the the feedback on YouTube and everything. Uh, Spotify as well. So many of you are downloading this on on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Awesome. If you go to my YouTube channel, subscribe and shit, that would be great. Uh, get on the Spotify as well. I am trying to build this up again. You know, it took me two years last time, but I'll, I'll keep on cracking. Appreciate everybody. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time.